So what do you remember of children's Bible stories? What did you get when you were growing up? What, what were your favourites? Uh, I know uh, D- Daniel and the Lions, there, Jonah, yeah, Noah, uh, yeah, all those. Of course, um, my two boys, Peter and Stephen, uh, their favourite was uh, Jezebel being thrown out the window, splatting on the ground, and her flesh being eaten by dogs, and uh, that, was, that was their favourite. But um, they, they were just... They like to see, yeah, Penny's, Penny's, Penny, Penny's trying to justify it now, and she said they like to see the baddies go down, and uh, well, that's true. A lot of the stories that we, we love are about people who trusted God, and God came through for them in extraordinary uh, circumstances. And Noah's Ark, for instance, uh, we can't all build a humongous ark. But every one of us can build a safe haven for our families, a place where they can come to know God. Uh, David and Goliath, not many of us fight uh, nine-foot giants, but every one of us face giants from day to day. And as I was contemplating this and thinking of some of the other stories that uh, I used to like, Daniel in the lion's den and uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego going through the fiery furnace, uh, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And so... Uh, We're going to start a short series, and I'm going to preach on at least this week and next week, from the book of Daniel. And I don't think I've uh, done that uh, much before, but basically the the series is going to be to do with keys for living for God in a secular world of compromise, because there's a real battle there. But just to give you some background for the book of Daniel and for the series that we're doing. Uh, After the reign of King David and his son Solomon, basically Israel splintered along geographical and tribal lines. And within a few generations, the 10 northern tribes of Israel abandoned their faith uh, in God and started worshipping idols. And so God allowed the Assyrians to conquer all the 10 tribes that were absolutely wiped out. Judah, including Benjamin, in the southern, made up the southern kingdom where Daniel lived. And they drifted away from God. Uh, again, God issued warnings through his prophets, through Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. And the nation of Judah still refused to hear and heed their messages. And so God allowed the Babylonians, under the leadership of their emperor Nebuchadnezzar, to basically come in and... Um, enslaved the Jewish people and Daniel was one of these exiles. He was probably about 16 years of age uh, when he became a slave in Babylon and logically speaking Daniel had really no hope and yet it's interesting that he never ever despaired, he never gave up uh, because he, he loved God and he served God and it's interesting for the next 70 years of his life basically Daniel trusted God And God saw him through. And with humility and confidence, Daniel glorified God through his actions, through his speech, through his character, through his conduct. And God honored him by protecting him and blessing Daniel with the respect of four different Babylonian emperors. 
And finally, the last one, Cyrus, granted the Jewish people freedom so they could return home. Daniel had incredible influence over that nation. It's interesting that the same problems that existed in biblical times continue to challenge us today. Uh, We live in a world where people just do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. Uh, defining their identities, for instance, according to their own constantly shifting ideas. And so you you read about school-age kids who want to change their genders. Uh, We have couples of the same gender planning weddings. It's increasingly acceptable to pursue whatever feels right. Uh, People believe they are entitled to reinvent themselves and live in whatever way they choose. So as Christians... How can we remain anchored in our Christian faith when our culture and the changes that are happening in our culture just seem to sweat, threaten to swamp us? Well, Daniel shows us that we don't need to compromise our beliefs or actively participate in an anything-goes mindset. Uh, We're called to be people of influence who stand out because of the way we relate to God. We're called to be people of influence because of the way that we relate to people around about us, especially those who are different from us. Uh, And so we can be people who reflect the loving kindness of a good God and stand firm and love And represent Jesus Christ well. But to do this, we first need to know who we are. Because there is an identity crisis. And Satan will try and rob you of your identity in Christ. A few years ago, I started getting messages from my friends on Facebook uh, thanking me. Uh, for accepting my friend requests, which I hadn't sent out. And when I checked up, I found that somebody else had duplicated my Facebook page and was trying to steal my identity. And it's pretty scary when a crook tries to pretend that they are you. Uh, Some of our missionaries suffered exactly the same fate. And we got sent emails from scammers uh, basically asking us to send money to our missionaries who were facing an emergency in a particular situation, circumstance. And so when you know the missionaries well and uh, you know their situation well, and these scammers were pretty, pretty good, uh, we nearly got caught out on one time. But basically what had happened was that they had grabbed their Facebook details and they were then contacting everyone on the contacts list and they were basically just in it for the money. Identity theft is incredibly common. Last year in the United States, nearly 9 million households, that's 7% of everyone over the age of 16, experienced some form of identity theft. That's amazing. But that pales into insignificance compared to the greatest identity thief of all time. Every one of us have suffered identity theft 
by the most infamous conman of all, Satan, who sole purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy your life and your identity in Christ. And so he wants you to believe that you are less than the one God created you to be, and he wants to stop you from fulfilling God's plans and purposes for your life. It's interesting that the very first thing that happens to Daniel and his friends when they arrive in Babylon is they get a name change. So looking at uh, Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 3, it says, Then, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. How many would be a, a, um, a candidate for this? Just put your hand up. Yeah, Isaac first, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll pray for inflated egos on the altar call later. <clears throat> anyway, um, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishal, Meshach. And to Azariah, Bendigo. These Babylonian names weren't simply different names. Uh, these names were meant to basically obliterate and humiliate the Israelites' identities. For instance, uh, Daniel means God is my judge. Belteshazzar means lady protect the king. How would you like that, you guys? Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Shadrach means I am fearful of God. See the way the, the, the names are just absolutely twisted about. Michelle means who can compare to my God? No one. Meshach means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. So the whole purpose of being given these names was to cause them to be confused about who they were. In fact, it was supposed to help them be assimilated in the Babylonian culture. Satan knows that if he can get you to believe a lie about yourself, you'll live beneath what God has created you for. And so he tricks people into establishing their identity based on all the wrong things. So people establish their identity according to what they look like, um, their occupation, what a person does, their gender, their social status, whether they've got position, money, um, their family, uh, their nationality, their, their racial group. Sometimes people establish their identity according to their kids. And some of us try and live out our sporting failures through the lives of our children. Um, some people establish their identity according to their past, according to failures, um, the words that others have given them, and our behaviors are two common ways that people establish their identity. Uh, family, friends, teachers, 
employers, all have communicated to us information on which some of us have based our identity and our perception of self-worth. And identity based on these things can be incredibly, incredibly destructive. People are told that they are useless, worthless, an idiot, full, failure, good for nothing, hopeless. How many people have never, ever been told one of those things? Nobody. So everybody, at some stage or another, has been put down, has been told something that they're not. I was incredibly encouraged when I saw a Facebook post by Meryl Streep a few years ago. And uh, that Facebook picture there is her, and she says, This was me on my way home from an audition for King Kong, where I was told I was too ugly for the part. This was a pivotal moment for me. This one rogue opinion could derail my dreams of becoming an actress or force me to pull myself up by the bootstraps and believe in myself. I took a deep breath and said, I'm sorry you think I'm too ugly for your film, but you're just one opinion in a sea of thousands, and I'm off to find a kinder tide. Today, I have 18 Academy Awards. <laughs> Good honour. Uh, as a six-year-old, Thomas Edison was sent home from school with a note, too stupid to learn. How many people would like to be that stupid? Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I'd like to be as stupid as Thomas Edison. Yeah. Um, some of us have built our identity around the words and their associated circumstances that have been a virtual curse dictating and directing our lives, but it doesn't need to be like that because Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. We have all received these words. We have all received these put-downs. We have all been subject to an attack of identity theft. The main thing is what matters is the names that we have written on our hearts and mind. It's what we believe about ourselves and then live out that's going to count. You can receive words like this, but they could be like water off a duck's back. On the other hand, you could receive those words, you could take them to heart, you can ponder over on them, and they will destroy you. Perhaps you've let sickness define you. Cancer or diabetes is not only your disease, but it's also become your identity. Some of you know that uh, last year I had an operation for prostate cancer, but I refused to let that, that illness define who I am. Uh, you might ha let relationships define you. Perhaps rejection or divorce or betrayal have become your identity. You may have let circumstances determine your name. Maybe the death of a loved one, tragedy, bankruptcy have become your identity because what you believe determines what you live out. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And this explains why the number one goal of the enemy is to attack your identity. He wants to give you a different name. He wants to give you one that stands in direct contrast to the name that God gave you when he created you. In Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 5, it says, <coughs> excuse me, God talking to Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's incredible, isn't it? When you think about it, 
before he formed us in the womb, he knew us. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And of course, Jeremiah, if you know the passage, speaks back, oh, I'm too young. Uh, to do all this stuff. But God says, no, this is what I've created you for. This is who I've created you for. And uh, he knows what we are created to be and how each of us fit into his plans. So we need to recognize the enemy's schemes and start believing what God says about us because God's words create life. I mean, God spoke the word and the worlds came into existence. How much more can he speak a word into your situation and your circumstance and cause life to come out of death? How much more can he take those, those daggers from your back and replace them with healing and wholeness as you give your life over to him? So... Who does God say that you are? What does he have to say about us? Well, there's a whole bunch of generic things that apply to everyone. All Christians should carry these things in their hearts. We are a child of God. We're a new creation. We are the dwelling of God. We're an heir of God, a saint, a priest of God, a king a citizen of heaven, an ambassador, a conqueror, his workmanship, beloved of God. You see, we have identity and value because God created us with identity and value. We were created in the image of God. We aren't an accident, a product of chance. We are created in God's image. It's interesting. Photographs aren't valuable because of the photographic paper that they're printed on. They're Valuable because of the image on that paper. God looks at us and he says, hey, that's my image. And also, a photograph is valuable because of who created the image. We are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 it says, for we are God's workmanship. That name workmanship in the Greek is poema, masterpiece. Penny and I had the opportunity uh, many years ago when we were in London to visit some of the great museums and look at the masterpieces. When we were in Germany, we did the same thing. And these masterpieces are valuable, not just because they look pretty, not just because they describe a particular scene, but these masterpieces are valuable because of who painted them. They were painted by a master. And you have value because you were created by God. And that gives you intrinsic value. We are unique. We are one of a kind. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are one of a kind. (laughs) Aren't you pleased? Even identical twins, Rosie, are different, aren't they? How do identical twins, how are they different? Do you know? Fingerprints. Fingerprints. The fingerprints of identical twins are different because they form at a different stage in the process after the, um, after the eggs are split. So even identical twins are different. 
We are unique. We are important because God considers us important to him. And he considers us so important that he gave Jesus Christ to die for us. And Jesus now lives in us and is working in us. We contain the treasure of his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who, you, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have the treasure of God's Spirit within us. You know, many times I've seen pictures of Fort Knox in the United States. It's a very bland, white building. But Fort Knox has incredible value not because of its architecture, not because of what the building looks like, but Fort Knox has value because of what's inside it. It houses the Federal Reserve Gold Deposit of the United States. And we have the gold of the Holy Spirit within us, and that's what gives us value. We're the light of the world, we're Christ's friends, we're members of a chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We're precious, we're the head, not the tail. We could just go on and on and on. I could fill the rest of the sermon up with all the things that, good things that God says about us. You know, knowing we are in Christ creates security in our lives. It's one thing to read all these things about what God says about us. It's another thing to actually believe these things and see them outworked in our lives. So knowing that we have identity created by God, knowing that God is for us should create security in our lives and should enable us to trust in God and be dependent on Him rather than being self-interested and self-reliant. Dependence on God is really a channel that opens up us to receive his help and his blessing so that his plans and his purposes for us can come to pass. Uh, I love what it says in Jeremiah 17, 7. It says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's a picture of a person who trusts in God. And generally, a person who trusts in God is a person who knows their identity, who knows who they are in God, who knows that they are a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe, our heavenly father. Daniel and his friends were trained by the Babylonians in their literature, in their language, and in all of their scientific methods. But they trusted in God. And look what it says in verse 17. Not as a result of their secular learning, 
but as a result of their trust in God. It says, Daniel 1.17, To these four young men God, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Just have a think of that. That is just absolutely incredible. They did their bit. They went through the training, but God downloaded to them things that would be necessary for them to gain a position of influence in that nation. Because God wasn't just interested in those four themselves. God was interested in the whole nation. And so he promoted or had promoted those that he knew could trust him. When you know who you are in God and how good God is and how your heavenly Father wants to bless you, you'll look to him to add knowledge and understanding to you in your workplace because God wants to increase your influence for him. Think for a moment of you and your job situation. What would it be like if God gave you knowledge? If God gave you understanding? What would it be like in your job situation? How would that impact the way you do your job? The way that people perceive you? Because that's exactly what happened to these guys. And for me, this isn't theory. This happened to me. This happened to me time and time again. God opened my eyes, gave me understanding that those around me never had. And as the technical executive of New Zealand Dairy, I really, really, really needed it. I remember one particular situation. I can still picture it in my mind's eye. It's interesting, those things uh, that are tied up with emotions generally are burnt into our, our psyche. But I can remember this one meeting in Te Aumuru. Uh, we had got a new dairy board contract. We, new Zealand Dairy was contracted to the New Zealand Dairy Board to take butter that was out of spec and to make it into anhydrous milk fat and and hydrous milk fat is just basically, you know, when you, we put, you put butter in a frying pan, how the clear oil comes out when you heat it up. Well, that's on anhydrous milk fat. So we used to put that into 44-gallon drums, and we'd send it over to the Middle East, and they would use that. They would reconstitute it, uh, make it into milk, make it into all the dairy products. But Well, when we were setting up the, the whole scheme, uh, a meeting of... Um, of technical people and 
accountants and managers and everything was set up because this was a this was worth hundreds of millions of dollars to us. And I remember sitting in this meeting tearing my hair out because God had downloaded to me a particular way that we as a company for our farmers could make millions of dollars out of this project. Absolutely millions of dollars. And Murray's rubbing his hands over there. And, um, <coughs> but nobody else could see it. They couldn't understand what I was getting at. They, they didn't know the formulas that, I, that I'd written and the way that I, I thought that we should arrange this whole thing. They just couldn't understand it. And eventually the, um, the general manager of New Zealand Dairy had to make a call. And he took me aside into the other room. And he said, look, I don't understand what you're saying. But, he said, because of your character and because of your success in the past, I'm going to trust you on this deal and we're going to go with what you are saying. And they did. And we made millions. We made millions out of that deal. But I say that to say that was an instance where God downloaded stuff to me that I wasn't smart enough to figure out for myself, that other people didn't understand, but it resulted in his plans and his purposes coming to pass. And it actually gave me great, great kudos amongst the whole group when uh, six months later they saw what I had uh, tried to explain to them actually come to pass and actually happen. And uh, it, was, um, it was amazing. But that wasn't the only time that happened. I'm going to have the, mu the musicians come, please. Um, you see, it happened a lot, and it could happen to you if you will be confident in who you are in God and trust Him to bless you and to speak it to you and through you. But you have to have that confidence in God. I think the key for me was knowing that I wasn't smart enough to do all the stuff that I was supposed to be doing and therefore having to get on my knees and pray and say, God, you've got to help me here because I don't know what I'm doing. I'd be going to these meetings. I'd be going to these meetings where I was supposed to be the expert and I knew nothing about it. I didn't know how to do what they were supposed to do. So I'd take along another person who I thought was pretty smart in that particular field and we got through. God can give you incredible, incredible insight into the situations and the circumstances that He's called you into because He wants you to have influence. He wants you to have growing influence in your job situation. He wants you to display His character. He wants you to display His knowledge so that your knowledge of him can be passed on to those that work with you. But to do this, you've got to know who you are. You've got to. Know God in a way that causes you to be completely reliant on him. This morning, I'm just so aware that there are, there are people here that have been sucked in by the enemy into believing 
that you are less than what God has created you to be. And I, I really want the opportunity this morning to be able to break chains of bondage, to be able to set people free, to see people actually have an encounter with God, to see people actually recognize how wonderful and how marvelous they are and how precious they are in God's sight. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand right now. And if, if you're a person who has believed something, believed the lie from the enemy, you've had a poor self-image, you know that there have been destructive thoughts within you, that you've struggled to believe that you are precious to God, that He loves you more than anything else. But this morning, you want to believe God's Word. You want to break through in that area. If that's you, I want you to come to the front right now. And I want the uh, ministry team to come. And we're going to pray for every person who wants a breakthrough. Maybe you have defined yourself in terms of the loss of a loved one in the past. And therefore, your whole life has changed. Whereas God wants you to go on from this place. He wants you to break through. He wants you to recreate things in Him. Maybe you are one of the ones who is being defined by the mistakes that you have made in the past. And no matter how hard you try, you just really struggle to break free of your past and come into a new place in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, God wants to set people free. We're going to sing a song. Come to the altar. Yeah. And as we're singing that, I want people just to come. We're going to pray. And we're going to believe that God is going to do a fresh work in your life. So come on.